We're all full of longings. The longing for happiness, for change, for comfort, for awe, and for love. And these longings aren't necessarily bad in themselves. In many cases, they're gifts from God. But we go wrong when we start trying to satisfy those longings in the wrong ways. In our interview today, I'm talking with Amy DiMarcangelo about how our many longings point us to Christ, the only person who understands our every need and offers us eternal joy in himself. Amy's new book is called A Hunger for More, Finding Satisfaction in Jesus When the Good Life Doesn't Fill You, from Crossway. Let's get started. Well, Amy, thank you so much for joining me today on the Crossway Podcast. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Amy, in your book, you you talk about your life a little bit. You talk about uh, growing up and uh, the Christian home that you grew up in, the loving home that you were a part of. Um, you talk about your husband and your kids who are healthy and the, the solid churches that you've been a part of throughout the years. And so, in short, you, you kind of acknowledge pretty early on that your life has been full of blessing in a lot of ways. Uh, And yet you say, despite all of that, you often find yourself aching for more. So I wonder if you could just uh, unpack that ache for us. What what is that ache? Mm. Yeah, I think it's just a sense of um, it not being enough. Mm. That that all these good things that I, I look around my life and I'm so thankful for them and realizing, but it's not enough to fulfill me, mm. that there's still a longing for something more. And that ache is sort of uncomfortable because I want to uh, arrive to a place where I feel like everything's good and I'm fully satisfied. Um, and I think I can mix up, you know, what if this is maybe sinful discontentment? That's what I wanted to ask yeah. about. How do, you, how do you distinguish between this ache for something more that is good yeah. uh, and, and pointing you beyond yourself and a discontent that is just sort of not being grateful? I think it's found in which way, it, what it's pointing you to. Mm. So when I'm feeling discontent, you know, about a certain life circumstance, well, what I'm wanting in that, in that time is I want the circumstance to change or I want to obtain this thing or this goal or my child to change in this way. So my hope in those times is in something um, that's ultimately not going to satisfy me anyway, mm-hmm. even if I got what I wanted. Um, but I think when when we have this sort of holy discontentment and longing for more, what we find is when we're seeking the Lord in those things, that we at the same time are filled that he can satisfy us and then we keep wanting more. So it's sort of this... Um, it seems like an oxymoron that the more satisfied we are in Christ, the more we're going to long for him Mm. and long for, um, or, and the more that we'll find our different cravings, we'll be looking to him for those things Mm -hmm. that, okay, I don't need to just hush my longing for awe. Like I want to be in awe and to be in wonder and, um, but I don't have to go chasing around, you know, every experience, I don't have to feel like I'm missing out if I can't go on vacations in certain places. Like, I can find that wonder in the Lord. Yeah. That's the tricky thing, though, it seems like in all of this, is that we have these longings, whether it's for for wonder or for love, 
for happiness. Uh, you, you hit on all of these different things in the book. And yet it, the temptation that we all struggle with is that when we feel that desire for love, say, uh, we then go try to fill that by by diving in more with all these things around us that, that could claim to give us love. Do, do you feel that? How do you navigate that tension, that temptation to to pursue those good desires in the wrong way? Mm. I think that's where we're just so dependent on the Holy Spirit. Um, I know I want to get to places that I, just naturally I want to not need help. I want to just be the one who, <laughs> who oh, I always, yeah, when I'm, when I'm feeling my emptiness and need for love, like I go to the Lord for it first. And I don't. Like I do look for it in my husband being enough for me and um, or a friend. And that's always going to leave me disappointed. We were made for community. So it's not that those relationships are unimportant, mm. but if I'm viewing those as my source of security in a loving relationship, well, that's shaky ground. Do you feel like you've heard other Christians, maybe other Christian women that you are in relationship with, that you're talking with about these things? Are they articulating the same logging for more that maybe they can't always even fully you know, define? Yeah, I think I see it a lot, um, especially in this culture of trying to be enough. Mm. Like that's something you would see everywhere. You are enough. And, and we do have this longing. Um, Speak to that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, for, for those who maybe um, either men uh, like myself or uh, just people who, who would be curious kind of what you're talking about. What is this culture of needing to be enough that is that is so prevalent today? Mm-hmm. I think part of it erupts from... There's like a good sense um, rooted in it where people are wanting to address that we're always, you know, there's an awareness that we're always falling short, Mm. that we can't have the Pinterest perfect life or the Instagram perfect life. And and so this message is trying to relieve that burden from people. Um, So I think it's coming from a good heart of wanting to relieve people of that burden of having to change or to be like someone else. Yeah, to be perfect. Yeah. So I think that part of it is good. But the thing is, we're not enough. (laughs) So (laughs) it ends up being its own weight when we realize, okay, yeah, but I'm not. (laughs) Um, And that's why, okay, so that points us to God. So I think we're going to feel that longing in different ways. That's why the chapters hit so many different things. I think they're going to resonate with different people. Mm. Different chapters will resonate with different people and how you're wired. Um, but we we long to be enough in whatever way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, well, we can't be, but the good news is God is. Yeah. So, Whereas the cultural answer to that is, yeah, you are enough. Yeah. Don't, don't worry about it. You don't measure up, but that actually is okay. Yeah. And you, you know, that's not quite the answer. So... In the book, you do explore these 10 different cravings that we all have in different ways. Um, cravings that, that you would argue ultimately only God can ultimately satisfy. Uh, but you open the book with a, in a particular one that I found interesting. You've already referenced it. This idea that we crave wonder. We mm-hmm. crave awe. Why start there? I think uh, because that... God is just so vast. It felt like the biggest place to start. God is so vast and eternally glorious. And and that's sort of like the beginning of, you know, he's he's transcendent. And that's where it all began. He was this transcendent God who then created man and created mm. an intimate relationship. Um, but I because God is who God is, 
and we're made in his image. We just all are going to have a longing for something that's amazing and glorious mm. and bigger than ourselves. And so sometimes we look for it in experiences. We look for it by traveling to all the places. We look for it. Um, I mean, even just when you think of how many, uh, like Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings, the types of of stories that mm. can really gain traction, it's because people long for like something magical and wonderful yeah. that's beyond their imagination. Big. So we create yeah. it ourselves. Um, but... But that's because God's eternally glorious, mm. and and so He's He. It's His invitation. Like, yeah. come look for me, because you you won't run out of things to find. Isn't there a famous C.S. Lewis quote along those lines, where mm -hmm. you know, if you find your heart longing for something bigger than yourself, it's yeah, you're made for. It's evidence that you're made, made for another world. Yeah, 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 yeah. It does seem like there is that kind of that is there is that fundamental desire for. Um, being a part of something bigger than we are or um, having this ultimate significance um, that we we know we can't achieve in ourselves. Um, are, are there practical ways that you've seen that show up in your own life? You know, this this longing for wonder, has it manifested in certain ways as you look around at your own mm -hmm. experience? I've, I definitely grew up with a love of hiking. My dad's a big hiker mm. and would always... Um, bring attention to God's glory when we would be out on a family vacation and hiking. So I find that really um, always very powerful mm. to be on a mountain looking around and just thinking like, wow, I am so small <laughs> compared to this mountain. And yet this mountain is so small compared it, to the God who made it. It is amazing because those experiences, even the experience of being in nature and being in awe of something like the Grand Canyon or a mountain, it's almost like a universal kind of human mm -hmm. experience. So you think that is tied to the fact that God made us? Yeah, I think we can't help but feel that there's something greater out there. Mm. Um, and that's why even, yeah, I mean, people who don't believe in, in God still have that sense of awe yeah. when they're in these types of, when they're looking at, you know, the newest pictures of space. And, yeah. and, and it's just like, you can't help but be struck by it mm. and how magnificent it is. Um, and then I think within all of us, like there's a sense of like, there's, there's someone who made that. Yeah. Yeah. So another thing that you talk about that we often crave is grace. Um, and it's really interesting how you reflected on that. You, you recount the story from the Bible of the woman who, uh, kind of interrupted Jesus and his disciples while they were having dinner. Um, she was uh, kind of a, a notoriously sinful woman, um, and she starts weeping at his feet and is crying on his feet and then wiping his feet with her, her own hair. And it's this amazing, beautiful, dramatic story, and yet you, you said that it often left you feeling discouraged. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I wonder if you could explain that. Yeah. I remember, I mean, yeah, reading this story where... I would feel disappointed because I felt like I could never experience that kind of gratitude and love for Christ that mm. that woman experienced. And where I knew I'm a sinner who needed grace, mm -hmm. I knew I couldn't be good enough on my own. And yet, because I grew up in a Christian family and was, was a Christian from a very young age, I think I remember genuine affection for the Lord. Um, so I sort of felt jealous of people mm. who 
you know, had maybe really significant stories of change and seeing that like death and sin and then life yeah. in Christ and a that dramatic contrast. conversion. Yeah. And I just felt like I'm never going to feel that kind of affection because my life's pretty put together. Um, even of my, you know, loving Christian family, I was like the good kid, <laughs> the middle child, you know, didn't get into trouble. Um, so I think I, I thought it was, it meant that I was going to miss out on mm. knowing Christ the way other people could. Um, and really that was just related to not understanding just how wicked my own sin was. Mm. Um, so I knew I was a sinner. I knew I needed grace, but I think I didn't realize how my respectable sins were just as serious as, you know, the ones that we can look on in society and think like, oh, wow, yeah, that mm -hmm. person is a mess. Yeah. I, do you feel like you've heard that from other Christians who maybe grew up in Christian homes and, and yeah, had relatively stable, you know, early years, childhood years, and have never been, you know, quote unquote, kind of rebellious children or rebellious people. Is that a sentiment that you've heard from others? Yeah, I think it is pretty common. Um, I think there's one reason I wrote this story, this book was think that there can often be two groups of people who are addressed. So either the person who is far from the Lord didn't or didn't follow the Lord at all, had a really messy life and then has a dramatic conversion or people who grew up religious um, but would say like, but I didn't even understand who God was until I was in college and then this happened. And they have that other story of like they were good and thought they were good enough. And then mm. and I was like, well, what about the people who like did have genuine faith, but then are struggling with this sense of like, but I don't understand grace the way other people do. And, yeah. and how do I wrestle with that? So I think that's common. And, and I think it's some of it's related to just it's so easy to take grace for granted. Things yeah. that we've always enjoyed. Um we're always tempted to take them for granted. Do you think there's something, uh, as you reflect on your own childhood and the churches you grew up in, um, is there something about the way that as as churches, as Christians, we talk about grace and about sin that maybe leads us to have almost this hierarchy of sins where we kind of just, yeah, we, we don't really consider, even if we say they're sin, those respect, respectable sins, they just don't seem like they're that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think... I believe that so often in, and it's rooted in wanting, you know, hearers to, to know like you're not, you can never be too far gone. Mm. So there is sometimes this focus of you think you've messed up too much. Well, you haven't mm -hmm. like God, God's grace can still reach you. Um, and that's a good, and we shouldn't stop that focus at all because people do need to hear that. There are people who think they're too far gone. They've messed up too many times. They knew better and still messed up too many times. Surely God's grace has expired for them at this point. So they need to hear that. But I think there just also needs to be at the same time, hey, and if you, if you just find yourself persistently struggling with pride and assuming that you're right and and then really unpacking what that means maybe what that arrogance means or um helping people go deeper yeah. into this is what that is reflective of so mm. it strikes me that we're, it's just such a we're, we're so self-deceived so often because mm -hmm. we we fall maybe even in our own you know one person we can tend to fall off on either side where we're either diminishing the seriousness of our sin and kind of not taking it seriously, not understanding how great God's grace 
is for us in that mm-hmm. sin, or on the other side, being so consumed with guilt for our sin and shame and not not embracing the forgiveness that we've been given. Mm-hmm. We kind of go back and forth, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- one thing that you said about this that really stood out to me, you write, quote, the problem is that we focus so much on addressing obvious manifestations of sin, I think you're referring to these respectable sins often, that we train its subtle expressions to remain hidden in our hearts. Uh, w- would you say that, um, are we kind of hiding our sin from ourselves in that regard? We can focus so much. I think there's, we have a genuine desire to repent and change, but we grow to tolerate sin that seems under control. So I know that I shouldn't lash out in anger at my children. Um, so I do, you know, I am seeking to grow and, and not yelling, not raising my voice. But that, if I get that under control and never yell at my kids again, mm. that doesn't mean I've dealt with my problem of anger. Mm. Um, so if I grow in self-control in my speech and I don't, uh, you know, talk too critically to people or about people, and yet I still think very critically in my <laughs> heart, I haven't dealt with the root issues. Yeah. So I, we, we tend to try to address the outward behavior not just in a hypocritical, like I want to fool people into thinking. It's just that that's sort of, it's something more tangible. Yeah. So it's, that feels like growth. Um, and in a sense, it is growth of self-control. Um, but we can then be too content with, mm. okay, I, I tamed it. And, and kind of not realizing that like, well, sin can't actually be tamed. Yeah. Um, so we have to continue crucifying it, even as it's in our heart. So you know, hooray, I never yell again, but there's still anger in my heart that I need to put to death every day. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, if we're yelling at our kids or or getting, you know, saying uh, harsh things to them, it's, it's that, it's that manifestation that we sort of can't excuse. We can't ignore because it's just right there in public. Mm -hmm. And yet uh, those inner things, they're, they're easier for us to kind of hide and keep under wraps because no one can see them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another thing that you talk about craving is truth. And, um, you know, we live in a world where truth is an important concept that people kind of debate almost. What is truth? Who has truth? How do we know it? Uh, And and yet in our increasingly secularized context, you you argue that the lure of compromise is ever-present. What do you mean by that? We, all of us, are tempted to compromise, and I think we're all tempted in different ways. Um, so some of us are analytical thinkers and, and we're tempted to compromise because we want to sort of use logic to, to get some maybe of the, the hard doctrines in the Bible, get them to fit into how we can understand them. Um, so we, we go into, you know, a lot of this you would see people who, really go into questions and doubts. And that's a, like, we should be asking questions. We should be engaging those questions. And our doubts are okay to admit. They're okay to, um, and not just okay, like it's important that we talk through those things. But we also need to ask ourselves, well, am I trying, are all my questions related to the fact that I really want to know the answer mm. or the fact and that I want to discover what God's truth is or that I'm just going to keep asking these questions till I get an answer that I feel 
yeah. I want to get. Yeah, we live in a time when, you know, this there's this new buzzword that's constantly being trotted out, this idea of deconstruction. And um, do you, is there something, you mentioned that it's, you emphasize that it's important that we sort of ask those questions and be honest about those questions. Uh, do you think that's something that we, maybe the evangelical church hasn't done very well in the past? Probably so much of that depends on the context. I would think I can't give a universal answer for like how different churches engage that. Um, I definitely felt growing up that like I was allowed to ask questions, but at the same time I can relate to, um, I can think of friends who would ask questions where I would have this inner panic Mm. of, oh my gosh, what does this mean about what they're believing about the Lord. And, and so I think some of it, it's not so much that we're wanting to be harsh and control people from asking questions. Some of it can be rooted. Um, if it's, you know, culturally that people don't feel welcome with their questions. Some of it's just rooted in we're concerned for people and, and we're struggling with our own fears. Yeah. Of like, Oh, if they ask that, is this going to unravel, yeah. you know, X, Y, or Z for them? Um, and we need to have more confidence in the Lord that like, no, as people ask questions, as we engage doubts, as the church opens up the floor and then models what it means to press into the Lord through that, we don't need to be afraid. You know, God, God's word is going to, it's going to stand up to questions and scrutiny and, and it always does. No one's asking new questions. These have been around ever since the beginning of the church. So um, we don't need to panic. Yeah. Um, well, uh, you've already explained that you grew up in a Christian home and, you know, had a, a relatively stable, um, home life and a great churches that you were involved with. But even with all that, has, have there ever been seasons in your life where you had doubts, you struggled with mm-hmm. wondering, you know, is what I was taught correct all these years? I've definitely gone through periods of struggle and usually it's regarding, God's sovereignty and evil mm. in the world. Um, so, you know, pretty common one there. Has it kind of come back like multiple times, would you say? Yeah, I would say it's something I routinely can even still struggle with. Yeah. It's a it's a routine battle for me. Um, and it usually comes up when I'm being really engaged with seeing suffering and evil in the world. So I think one of the, the times that was most significant for me where I felt probably the most in a faith crisis was... Um, in planning uh, an event for my church. It was a benefit concert for um, children who have been uh, trafficked. Mm. And so just really going deep into that reality was um, really hard because it's easy for me to trust God's sovereignty when I think of my life, even with the pain that is involved. Mm. I can look at it and really know, like, I see God working evil for good. And But when I'm looking at children who've been trafficked, mm. That's that's a lot harder to yeah. see and trust God's sovereignty in that. So yeah. I I definitely routinely can struggle with that. Yeah. And so what were the what were the things that other Christians did that were helpful for you in the midst of that? One thing would definitely be answering I don't really know, not hmm. trying to give a reason. Um, that's certainly with you know evil and sovereignty that. I think has to be one of our answers is I don't know why God allows these things to happen and not trying to form an answer because people will see through answers that we're trying (laughs) to just construct to uh, soothe their fears or 
people just see through that. And yet and, we, and all, they don't, we all do that we so do often. Do <laughs> and we're trying, and I think we're trying to, again, it comes from a good heart of wanting to like help people. Um, but it's just not going to stand, it's not going to hold up. So I think having that, you know, I don't know, but I do know God is good. I don't know why God is allowing this, but I do know he brings justice and he promises justice and evil will not go unpunished. Mm. So uh, probably the most helpful thing for me through those times is I don't know the answers to these questions, but people who would remind me of who God is. So who, what do I know? I know who God is and I know these things about him. So even though I don't know these answers, I can trust and rest in who he is. Mm. One of the things you draw out related to this idea of craving truth and um, yeah, in believing the right things uh, kind of relates to the way that we sometimes as Christians can think about uh, how our lives should unfold if we do believe those things. And you write, um, sometimes we believe that if we parent a particular way, it guarantees our children won't rebel. Or if we walk in purity, we will never endure sexual hurt in marriage. Or if we memorize enough scripture, we won't struggle with depression. Uh, can you resonate with those feelings of, um, of just like, if I do things the right way, if I think the right way and hold the right doctrines, things are supposed to work out a certain way for me? Yeah, I, this is something, I don't know if this is like a more Western or American thing, because I, I hate the prosperity gospel. Like I've heard, I have friends who like were told like, well, if your mom had had faith, she wouldn't have died of cancer. Like, wow. it's so damaging. It's so wicked. Um, and that, that wasn't from, like, a prosperity preacher. That no, was... it's, like, in a church. Like, in yeah, it wasn't, like, um, yeah, no big names that we would we would know. So on on that end, those things are more obvious, you know, where we, we can hate those things. But I think there are ways that we still internalize and take as promises things that aren't promises. Mm. So especially maybe where it's related to the wisdom literature, um, you know, where we can, if we read the Proverbs as promises, then we're going to be disappointed sometimes. Mm. The Proverbs are wisdom, but, you know, train a child in the way he should go and he shall not depart from it. Um, what's that, what that's communicating to us is that as parents, we're responsible to be training our children and we shouldn't take for granted that they're going to mm. make wise decisions or yeah. follow the Lord. But that's not a promise that, hey, if you're a good parent, your kids aren't going to rebel. They're all going to follow the Lord. And I think we can just unintentionally believe that if I do this, God mm. will do this. Mm. Um, and the tricky thing, it seems to me at least, is that, you know, it's not sometimes there most of the time there are these good things that God mm -hmm. doesn't does call us to do. Um, but we, we then can sort of subtly and I've found in my own heart, at least, in ways I don't even always recognize until maybe after the fact, we can sort of be thinking in my mind, okay, I did this, and so God now sort of owes me mm -hmm. a certain kind of result. Yeah, for sure. I definitely have been in that, I did everything right, God. Mm. Why did? Why is this what happened? And that's where we need to confess, like, hey, God does not owe us anything. Yeah. And if we're starting to come to him with these demands, well, then... Then we're we're like the older brother in the in the um, parable of the prodigal son. Mm. The older brother of I did things right. Yeah. Where's my party? And we weren't doing it for the Lord. Like if we're if we're upset when we don't get the result we wanted from our obedience, then our obedience wasn't really rooted in love for the Lord to begin with. Mm. Yeah. 
Maybe a uh, last uh, thing that you talk about how we crave, and it kind of ties back actually to something you said a few minutes ago, is the idea of craving comfort, uh, especially comfort in the face of suffering, the, the suffering that we all experience. But again, you, your perspective has kind of shifted a little bit on this when it comes to this idea of quote unquote first world suffering that is kind of what is, is often the suffering that, that most of us here in the U.S. will experience in our lives. And you write that there was a time when you, quote, chalked most pain up to a problem in perspective. You kind of diminish the suffering that you've experienced and that others maybe around you have experienced. Unpack that for us a little bit. I have been um, really involved and passionate about care for, you know, orphans in other countries for as long as I can remember. Um, and as I shared earlier, the, the trafficking, victims of human trafficking, and I when you're engaging things like that, it's very easy to then sort of have a self-righteous view towards other types of suffering. Like, that's not bad enough. Like, mm. get over it. Um, and I, I mean, that sounds horrible because it is horrible. But I think I, I really, in spending after spending time in India um, and spending time learning about just different things, and I'm involved with refugees, um, I can have a view that unless your suffering looks like this, like it's really not that bad. Mm. Um, now that has shifted. Uh, I think God's used like my own suffering. I was going to ask about that. Has that did that view that sort of um, diminishing of the significance of suffering? Would that even have applied to your own suffering, your own life? It would have. Um, and I think I'm still tempted to be this way. Of who am I? So I share in the book. I can. Um, or I have, I've had some pretty significant struggles with depression over the last couple of years. And I can still kind of look at it and be like, what is my problem? Like, mm. my life is so good. I have no right to suffer, mm. to struggle with depression. Whereas this person does. Look at their life. They, yeah. They're the person who should be struggling, not me. Um, and in that, you lose any of our suffering, whether it's the result of our own sin, because sometimes we're suffering because of our own choices, or the result of someone else's sin against us, or just life in a fallen world and broken bodies, all of our suffering is meant to point us to Christ. So he wants to be our comforter. He wants to, he's never looking at someone like, hey, I don't have time for you because this person over here has it way worse. Mm. Like God is an infinite source of comfort. So he wants us to come to him the same way, you know, when a little kid scrapes their knee, we're not saying like, well, get over it. Your leg isn't broken. Uh, like, no, we go and comfort that kid who scraped their knee. Yeah. Um, and that's how God is with us. And that's his heart towards us. He's very mm. tender towards us. So um, were you finding, say, with with this depression that you have struggled with, do you find that when you are kind of diminishing it and thinking uh, this isn't so bad, what's my problem? Is that preventing you from going to God like you should? Yes, absolutely. I mm. kind of feel like, who am I to, and, and it get, gets into, you know, just pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, self-sufficient faith. Mm. Um, so it, it definitely turns me from, from seeking the Lord when I'm in that yeah. uh, frame of mind. Yeah, it seems like that, that bootstrap faith is, mm -hmm. is so common. Uh, is there, you think it's, you've been around the world visiting with Christians in other parts of the world. Um, is that as common in other places, do you think? Or is there something about our American context that maybe tempts us towards that more? I think it, it does seem to be just in the DNA of <laughs> Americans. <laughs> Pull yourself up. Um, and I, 
think also just more prosperous places because we don't feel our need as uh, it's not as in our face. We're all very, very needy beings. We all desperately need God. But someone who doesn't know where their next meal is going to come from feels that acutely, whereas people like us, middle class, you know, middle mm. class America, um, it feels like we should be able to figure this out on our own because mm. we're used to sort of living self-sufficient lives. Um so we can assume that in spiritual ways too. Yeah. Um, so speak to the person listening right now who, who maybe is experiencing kind of what, what you've said you've experienced, this idea of suffering of maybe different kinds. It could be depression. It could be um, the loss of someone close to them or maybe even just uh, uh, you know, uncertainty about the future and different things that they're maybe facing there. And, and they are feeling a little bit of that, you know, almost guilt perhaps about that suffering that they're experiencing or uh, they're one, they wonder, is this really uh, something that I'm allowed to be sad about or struggle with? What would you say to that person? I would say God wants to use whatever's going on in your life. He wants to use it to bring you to him. So he wants to comfort you. He's never ever in a place where it's like, Leave me alone. Like God, God delights in comforting his children. He has compassion for his children. So you're suffering whether, and whether you're struggling with guilt because it is your own fault. Like it's because of reckless choices mm. you've made. That's not excluded well, God's from a, this. God's a God of grace. Yeah. How mm. often were the Israelites suffering because of their own unbelief? And yet God yeah. comforted them and provided for them. And that's just the nature of God. He, he wants to comfort his people. Um, so when we have try to have a stiff upper lip and pull ourselves up our own bootstraps, we're, we're robbing God of that opportunity to be near to us and to comfort us as our father. Mm. What does it look like to be a good friend to someone who is struggling? Mm. That's a great question. I think we all have to fight our urge to fix it. Uh, that's probably pretty natural in most of us too, where we want to just fix someone's problem and we need to just grow in lament and grow in being comfortable with there not being answers or there not being solutions and just weeping with those who weep. Um, there really is a ministry in that that is overlooked that mm. um, I think we want to, okay, how can I end your pain as quickly as possible? What can I do? How can I fix it? And there's a role for that because there might be things we can do to help someone. So it's not that there's no practical outworkings of it, but just starting in a place of just sharing in someone's burden, sharing in their sorrow. Um, that always means so much to me when I know someone's like sad with me. It shows that they care for me. Um, and I want to grow and be in that type of friend to other people instead of you know, coming in with all my solutions for them. Mm, yeah. It seems like it connects so well to another thing you talk about in the book, this, this craving for community that we all have. Um, have you found that uh, suffering and especially sharing that suffering with another, another Christian uh, has bound you together with that person or those people in uniquely powerful ways? Absolutely. Um, going through is one example, going through a miscarriage several years ago now, that brought a unique connection with people I wouldn't have usually connected with. But mm. as other women in my church were able to say, hey, I experienced that too. Mm. Um, there's just something 
that's really comforting about that, where they know because you don't have to explain things to them. Uh, so more recently, my struggles with depression, like having a friend who I could go and say, let me tell you everything I'm thinking right now and sort of trust her to both not panic and, and get into fix-it mode, but to also know that I didn't have to over-explain myself because she understood because I knew she suffered with it and mm. she was open and sharing about that. Um, so I think it, it just builds this sense of like we're in this together and you're helping shoulder this for me. And, um, and you can, you know, when we're suffering together with other believers, they're able to remind us of truth that they've experienced. So if they've been going through something longer than we have or, or just are encountering God in different ways than we are, when they speak truth to us, it's comforting to know it's coming from a place of like their own experience. And then when we speak truth to others, it speaks to our own hearts. There are so many times that I've been in a bad place and yet as another friend sharing a struggle and I'm speaking truth to her and reminding her of um, just who God is and, and how he's for her, that ends up speaking to my own heart mm. when I was already struggling to believe it myself. Yeah, yeah. Maybe as a final question, uh, I wonder if there's someone listening right now who feels this discontent in their life. And sometimes I think it can be hard to know exactly what's, where that's coming from or what that's even about. And they just feel this general kind of, ah, I'm not satisfied. What advice, practical advice would you give someone to, to start, you know, diagnosing what's going on there? Is this a, a good discontent that is that should push me towards God, or is this something that, that really isn't healthy, isn't good for me? Uh, what, what practical advice, what next steps would you offer that person? I would ask that person to look at their life and consider what might they be fill, trying to fill themselves in right now. So if they're feeling that discontentment, well, right now are you really preoccupied with pursuing a job promotion? Or are you in a relationship that you're putting too much um, of a burden on and expecting that person, you know, so whatever, asking them, because we, we won't know, but what is preoccupying your thoughts right now um, and preoccupying your time? Because that might be an indicator of like where you're trying to be filled and mm. where you're trying to find satisfaction and why it's falling short. Um, and then based on sort of what that answer is, then reminding, like, okay, so how can you see God in this? Um, because, you know, it might not be, oh, so don't go for the job promotion. It's just how can you engage God through that and remember that your whole life is, you know, to be lived for his glory. So how do you glorify God in the way you try to work hard at your job? Mm. Um, you know. And what role might other Christians play in helping us to diagnose, you know, these, these desires? Asking lots of good questions. I think that we, or I know I can come in with assumptions of why someone's doing something. Um, when the reality is, you know, two different people could be showing sort of the same, f maybe bad fruit, but it's for different reasons. Some people are operating in a place of pain. Another person, it might be a place of laziness or bitterness or, and I think we need to ask questions to seek to understand what's at the root of what this person is seeking and why are they seeking it? Why are they maybe so insecure in love? Is there, you know, do they endure abuse as a child? Are they, like, what's deeper there? Um, 
and and helping and as we ask questions it helps them sort of engage as well i think some of the best counseling i've ever received was one of my pastors who's just really good with asking questions and mm. making me think in ways that I, I wouldn't have thought on my own. Yeah. Um, but if he came with assumptions, it probably wouldn't have been helpful. I would have been more tempted to be defensive. But with his questions, it sort of helped draw out the root of what was going on and why I was struggling in the ways that I was. Mm. Well, Amy, thank you so much for taking the time today to, to help each of us, I think, think a little bit about these desires, this longing that we all have in different ways that ultimately, as you say, is meant to push us towards God. Thanks for having me. That was Amy DiMarcangelo on our longings for more than this world can provide. For more, be sure to check out her book with Crossway, A Hunger for More, Finding Satisfaction in Jesus When the Good Life Doesn't Fill You. Pick up your copy of the book for 30% off directly from Crossway by visiting crossway.org plus. That's crossway.org plus. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving us a review. That helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.